Okay, so that was really cool. And uh, just want to tell everybody uh, good morning and Merry, Merry Christmas. I don't know. I hope it's not too late for that. You know, it's been four whole days. And I, I always wonder, what's, what's too far? Is it five days, ten days, New Year's Day? What's the cutoff for that, you know, to give that kind of greeting? And, you know, unfortunately, um, I, I think we get a little brainwashed. You know, we think that, um, you know, it's awkward sometimes. You know, should we be saying this? Or, uh, you know, is anybody going to get jolted? How about a stranger? If we're, you know, here we're kind of bold. You know, we're, we're in front of people that would celebrate Christmas, and we get out in the public and we say, well, wait a minute, I, I don't know, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, so we're not too sure when to say it, and we get brainwashed a little bit because somebody might feel threatened, you know, or uh, might get uneasy, you know. So, But here's what I don't understand. I mean, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. I mean, how can you get offended by that? You know, it's a birth of a, of a special child. You know, I don't know how you can get jolted or disjointed because that's a threat to you. Um, you know, so what I always think of more is, is God isn't being forced on us, right? We're, God's just available. You know, there's a difference between getting forced upon us and just being available for us. It's up to us to take the next step. You know, and, um, you know, we can run to him or we can run away from him. And, and, and I think that, that sometimes people don't realize that we have the choice. You know, they think it's getting rammed down our throat. We have to do it. Um, you know, if God's in front of us, it's, you know, it's something to get tensed up about, you know, the people that don't understand that. But I've noticed this year, there's a lot more people using the word Merry Christmas, a lot more people saying Christmas. Um, it's almost like we've hit the extreme of the nonsense, and we've kind of started to come back now to, to reality. You know, we're moving back to center. You know, even the governor says there's Christmas tree. It's not a holiday tree anymore. That was, that was in the news. I mean, that was big news. The governor is saying Christmas. You know, we got to get that out, out there, make sure everybody knows. You know, and we're starting to hear more about the Christmas cards and Christmas presents. And, I mean, who wants a holiday present? Anyway, that's, you know, doesn't sound right. Uh, Charles Dickens' classic, A Holiday Carol, you know. Can you imagine George C. Scott looking over his glasses? I'll thank you not to wish me a season's greetings. You know, it just, it's just not the same. So Christmas is a special time, you know, and, and uh, Christmas time has a soothing effect. You know, we've all heard that Snoopy and Red Baron song, you know, where they hear the church bells below and they stop fighting. You know, that, that's actually based on, on a real story. Um, in World War I, the soldiers used to they would lay down their arms on Christmas Day and sing carols to each other. Um, so that's really what Christmas is really all about. You know, it gets sad. We have all these attacks. We get the segregation. No nativities allowed. You can't have any symbols. Everything gets commercial. Shop till you drop. You know, we need all those things. And after all the craziness, you know, and it, the attacks come in every form that you can imagine... Maybe Christmas is coming back to Christ subtly, the way God always does things, very slowly and subtly. And, and now you start hearing things like it, that's a Christian holiday. You know, it's not a 
shopping spree anymore. It's a Christian holiday. It's Christ Mass. Um, on this day, a Savior's born. You know, and, and if you think about it, the fact that people even get tense about Christmas means maybe it's not purely pagan, right? Because who would get jolted if it was really a merry shopping season? You know, save a store. Um, we, we, or by we, I don't mean us here, but we as a society get jolted because there is a Christian element to it. You know, it's not just paganism, not commercialism. So even in the extreme, you know, with God, all things are good. And maybe even the commercialization comes in handy sometimes. Um, very recently, the Palestinians, they've all kind of changed their mind a little bit. Their economy is really bad. And uh, the holy sites are a big draw this time of year. So a lot of people like to go there. But Bethlehem is actually in the West Bank. If you don't know what that is, it's a little section on, of, this is kind of odd to me because I can't figure it out, but the West Bank section on the east coast of Israel, and there's a dividing wall there because it's a strategic point because from Bethlehem, it's only six or eight miles to Jerusalem. That's a really strategic point to fire rockets and launch attacks and suicide bombers. So the Israelis build this big high wall that everybody gets intimidated by and nobody wants to go in there. So the, this year the Palestinians have said, you know, please come, we want you here. Uh, Christians, we, we would like you to come and stay, don't run away. Um, and you know, it's commercialism that's opening their heart a little bit, um, maybe for the wrong reason, but it's still a start. It's a, it's a place. You know, in the news, it says, the heavy turnout is the highest in years. Help lift the spirits in Bethlehem. Excited tourists milled around the town square, stopping in restaurants and shops. For one night at least, residents and visitors brushed aside their troubles to celebrate the holiday. You know, and again, it's a, it's a starting point. It's that soothing effect. It might be commercially driven, but the attraction's still Jesus. Right? It's Bethlehem. It's, they're not going there for outlet stores. They're, they're going there because it's the birthplace of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> and just to give you a flavor of that, the reporter of this thing I was reading interviewed a Georgia Tech student, and he said, I'm, I'm here, I'm enjoying the food, I'm making friends with locals um, and other fellow travelers. It's special to be here where Jesus is born it's a special opportunity once in a lifetime. So again, God's using it a little subtly of, of the commercialization that allowed those things to happen. You know, so God takes all these separate needs and he kind of blends them all together so they line up. You know, that's, that's an amazing thing. We always try to make just a little sliver of our life go correctly. God's making a whole bunch of people's lives go correctly all at the same time. And what that is, is, is it's God being faithful. You know, he, he's using that balance to let people seek a holy land. So the way I think of it is, you know, we spin ourselves in all kinds of circles and make ourselves dizzy, and God's compass points back to Jesus every time. 
So God is faithful. And we can talk about that faithfulness. That's really the main topic today. So why is God's faithfulness so very important? And what does it take to be truly faithful? And what does it take to be always faithful? You know, and I emphasize the word always. Now, to be always faithful, first you have to be always to begin with. And that's not very easy. It's actually impossible for us to be always anything. We can't even decide what clothes to wear. We change our mind all the time. But with God, all things are possible. There's not one failure. And always is, is one of those qualifiers. It's an extreme. It's an absolute. It's not a variable. All right? It's not like sometimes. It can be mixed in here and there. It has one real meaning. Forever. At all times. Continuously. Without stopping. Eternal. All those things that we can't do ourselves. There's none of us that can be always. We try hard, we make all the efforts, and then we come up short. Right? We've all either made a promise or heard promises like, I'll always take care of you. Or, I'll always be there to help you. Or, you can count on me anytime. And then, just guessing, there's sometimes there's gaps in those promises. Sometimes we can't quite do it. Or we reach out to somebody and they can't quite make it. So sometimes we're just too busy to help. Maybe we might say, well, I, could, I can't do it today. I can do it next week or next month. Or sometimes people move out of our lives in different ways. So they're not always available. They're not always there for the promise. But that's not our fault. Because we're weak. We're people. Um, and God understands that. So if you, if you want, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, um, which is Acts, Romans, Corinthians. I always think of it as Ark, A-R-C. Um, so we're in the sea of the Ark. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we go to verse 12. And here's God letting us know that he understands how weak we are. We say, so, if you think you are standing firm, be careful you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, our own doing. God is faithful, that's our theme, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So God even knows our limits. He knows we're weak. He knows we're going to get tempted. He knows we're going to be tempted by our own things. But he's going to put a barrier there that doesn't let us get tempted beyond what we can handle. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can endure it. So here, again, we're going full circle. We've got our own temptations, we're, we're too weak to resist them. God knows we need a barrier, and then God gives us an exit, a way out of it. So God does all these things just to protect us from ourselves. And that's part of being faithful. That's, that's 
the faithfulness of God. And then, other than being weak, we also get tired. You know, we wear out. We, uh, we aren't internal. At least not on earth, we're not eternal. So God has even provided a way out of death for us. He's given us eternal life if we seek it. Again, it's that, the choice I said. We can run to God or we can run away. So in the Bible, it teaches us whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and whoever rejects the Son will not see life. But God's wrath remains on them. That's John 3.36. And, you know, God teaches us that there's one unforgivable act, one thing that can't be overcome, and that's the rejection of Jesus. So the cost is eternal death, lights out. Um, God gave us the exit strategy. He gave us the key. And all we have to do is accept it. And God's always there. I'm going to get into how we fight and thrash around, and God's still there for us. So God goes a step further, and the Bible teaches us that the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, destroy them. So, again, here's God saying, here's the gift, accept it. And if you take refuge in me, I will drive out your enemies. One of the enemy, our enemies is death. We can't escape it ever. Jesus overcame it for us. All we have to do is accept. So, as you can see, this is part of this always theory that I'm talking about. You... It's very hard to be always. We, we can't be always anything, but God is always there. Always is a really big deal. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Again, that's the thing. God is always there, always continuing. We come and we go and we fight and we resist and God is always there. So we need all these lessons, and we need all these things because we're slow learners. You know, we always learn the hard way. You can learn the easy way or the hard way. Everybody picks the hard way. So I don't know exactly why we do it, but we do. But again, with the God, all things are good. Even though we pick the hard way, the hard way sticks better. You know, if we just got spoon-fed a bunch of stuff, it doesn't, it slips away. But when we learn a hard lesson, that stays with us for our whole life. We never forget the hard lesson. We never forget the things that really hurt. You know, when we really, really got cut down, we remember that. So that's the hard way. And again, God uses that. He uses our weakness for, for good, for strength. So we remember, we never forget. Right? So fortunately for us, we don't walk alone. God is with us. So, what does it take to be faithful? That seems pretty simple too, right? Just be faithful, you just kind of make a pledge, right? But how simple is it? How easy is that? 
And I'm not necessarily talking just about spouses or a relationship, you know, the cheating thing. And I'm talking about faithfulness that's really way beyond that, much bigger. The kind of faithfulness that means to be steadfast, to be supporting, to deserve trust, to be a promise keeper and not a promise breaker. Right? That's the kind of faithfulness I'm talking about, the, the kind that resonates, the kind that you're committed to, the kind that doesn't fade away. That's not easy. It requires never-ending patience, something we don't have. You know, to be always faithful, you can't just lose it. But it happens, right? Parents, loved ones, our friends. How many times do they run out of patience, even if it's temporarily or it could be permanently? It happens, right? What do you hear? I give up. I've had it up to here with you. I can't take it anymore. This time, you've gone too far. You're a lost cause. That hurts. I'm done with you. You know, or even the softer ones. Maybe we hear from a boss, you know, or a colleague or somebody, right? They might say, you know, it's just not working out. I think it's time to move on. You know, they've, they've given up. When they say those things, they're not, it's not as harsh as you're a lost cause, but it's still, it's still a breakaway. It's still saying, I, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. You ever see the movie The Jazz Singer? Where the father rips his clothes? You know, he has a falling out with the son. And in the Jewish culture, ripping your clothes is a sign of great sorrow and mourning. It basically was saying his son is dead. He has no more son. Or you can think of it, the father gave up. Just like I was saying, the father says he can't take it anymore. The son's gone too far. And then all the father had after that was sorrow. He had nothing else. He had nothing left but sorrow because he gave up. If you remember, Jacob tore his clothes when he found Joseph's coat soaked in blood. He tore his clothes because he, he was so torn, and pun upon, and so upset <coughs> that he couldn't take it anymore. Can you imagine if God was that way with us? Can you imagine if God says, hey, I can't take it anymore? If God said, I give up? You've crossed the line. I tried, you failed. Can you imagine what life would be like if God was like that? If God was the way we are? <laughs> so instead, God welcomes us back into all circumstances. Right? Arms wide open. But if you think about it, what kind of patience and love does that take? I mean, that's unconditional. That's, that's not thinking about the past. It's not thinking you hurt me. It's not thinking you failed me. You betrayed me. It, it's forgiving all and putting your arms on saying, come back to me, please. 
So, <clears throat> God never stops at this, not even for one second. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 9, we'll spend a minute there. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. So the apostles are traveling, right, from town to town, doing all kinds of things, spreading the, the word of Jesus, giving signs that <coughs> Jesus is real. And in, in Luke 9, verse 10, we read, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they'd been doing, or what they had done. Then Jesus took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed them. So now all of a sudden, they, you know, they're doing all these things. They want to kind of get a little break. They went to the, to by themselves to this town, and the crowds followed them. Well, Jesus didn't push them away. He didn't say, I'm too tired. And say we need some peace and quiet. It says, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. That was the sinners. He healed the sick. He healed the depraved. He healed the ones that needed faithfulness. He healed everything that had ailed them. <laughs> but, there's always a but. If you turn to Exodus, which is the second book, right in the front, chapter 15. <clears throat> Exodus 15, verse 26. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on Egypt for I am the Lord who heals you. So this almost sounds a little bit like a bargain. You know, God's saying, if you follow me, <clears throat> I will heal you. I will cater to you. What I, what I read in this is faithfulness is a two-way street. You, in other words, you need to be faithful to expect faithfulness in return. You know, you can't, it can't be one-sided. You need both. And, and when I read this, I, I, I read that, you know what? Yeah, God's giving us, you know, the, the, the path, I'll call it the ticket, but he's saying, you need to show your faithfulness. It's not, it's not just about handouts. We need to partake in it. We need to be part of the program. So if we turn to, I know I got you bouncing around, but these all make a point. If you turn to Deuteronomy, which again is, is in the front, a um, couple books forward, and it's like the fifth book. Um, You know, God warns us 
to be loyal. So not only do we need to show this faithfulness, we need to develop it into loyalty. So if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, and in chapter 11 we go to verse 16, so Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. 16, it says, Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain on the ground, it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce. You will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. So you see in this that the, the whole theme here is God says you need to commit too. You, again, it's reinforcing what I was saying earlier. You need to be part of the part of this program. If you're gonna if if you're going to reach out for my faithfulness, show that you're loyal. Show that you're here with me. We go to verse 18. It says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Think about that. God's telling us, hey, fix these words close to you and talk about them all the time. And then put yourself reminder notes, kind of like on the refrigerator. Put them on your door frame. Put them on your gates. Put them everywhere you're going to see every time you come and go. Because we need constant reminders. Again, God knows we're weak. We can't just say, oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. We need constant reinforcement, constant reminders. Constantly knowing, okay, this is how it should be. This is how I need to live. So you need to participate. You need to... Constantly have it in front of you because when we can't do it ourselves. To give you another example, if you go to Psalms chapter 18, it's kind of in the middle, we have Psalms 18, verse 24. we kind of get an example of what I'm talking about. What happens when you are faithful and what happens when you do what you should do and what you, when you commit to God. This is David talking and he says, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in, this, in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. That's what I've been saying. You can't have it one way. If you want faithfulness, you give faithfulness. David says that. To, be, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. And to the pure, you show yourself pure. And if you don't, to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. In other words, don't be gullible. 
Don't believe everything you hear. You save the humble, but bring low to those eyes who are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against the troop. This is when he was actually fighting. And my God, I can scale a wall. He was fighting uh, Saul at the time. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless, and he shields all who take refuge in him. Okay? Just like the other, one, the other verse was God speaking, saying, come under my wing and I will give you refuge. David's saying, yes, the Lord's word is flawless. Yes, you can take refuge in him. He shields all. So what else does it take to be faithful other than patience and commitment? It also takes a lot of knowledge. You have to be all-knowing. Problem is, we come up really short on that one. Even the greatest minds in the world come up short, right? The best doctors sometimes have to say, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. I'm sorry we're at a loss. We've tried everything. And the reality is they haven't really tried everything. They've only tried everything they know. There's a whole lot of everything they don't know. So again, we, we just can't do it. We can't even figure out how to have peace. Never mind do miracles. We can't figure out how to solve pollution or an energy crisis. So we keep coming up short. We don't have knowledge. And again, I go back to, can you imagine if God wasn't all-knowing? Can you imagine if, if Jesus stood in front of us and said, sorry, I'm not really sure what to do here. Uh, I'm fresh out of ideas. Uh, that would be pretty scary. That would be very scary. You know, but we, we say it all the time. So... To be truly faithful, you have to have be all-knowing. It also takes a lot of sacrifice, right? When we make those promises, I'll be there for you. I'll help you at any time. I'll always be there. We have to give up something, right? We may give up some time, or we might forego a little bit of fun, right? We might have to sacrifice a Saturday to do, help somebody out. Or we get no rest, we might have to pull an all-nighter. We have to stay up by a bedside for the whole night. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to get dirty or smelly. We have to get cold. We have to help somebody get their car stuck out of the mud while it's pouring rain. So to be faithful with those promises, it takes a lot of sacrifice. And God knows that, and he gave up his son for us. And then on top of that, Jesus separates himself from God and takes on our sins. I mean, that's sacrifice one and then times a thousand. Talk about getting uncomfortable. Jesus has to pull away from God. We don't even know what that's like. 
pulls away from God and gives us the ultimate example of faithfulness. And then on top of that, it takes never-ending effort because, again, we keep coming up short. We're weak. We, don't, we just keep stepping in it. We step in our own traps. So what do we do? We need constant forgiveness. So even when we deny God, even when we turn our back, God takes us back every time. So it takes constant effort, constant patience, all-knowing, sacrifice after sacrifice, and all that's for us. So it takes a lot to be faithful. You know, if you think about, you know, we, we kind of chalk it off. We hear this all the time, God's faithful. What I'm trying to do here is help you realize what does it take to be faithful like that? You know, it's not just words. It's not just a cliche. It takes amazing, amazing efforts and, and, and caring and love to get that faithful. We don't even know. We, don't even, we can't even get close. So what does God do to, or what I should say is, why is God so faithful? Like, what's the, what's the motivation? What, couldn't God take a break? Not even a vacation? A little time off? <laughs> we need constant attention. And God's there constantly. You know, never-ending effort. Why? Because God's on fire for us. God cares about us that much that there's no vacation, there's no break, there's no downtime. God can't take a nap. God wants all to be saved so none should perish. So God's faithful even in good and bad. But can you imagine if God wasn't faithful, even just one time, if God just didn't quite come through? What would happen? If you think about it, just once God didn't come through. We'd lose all confidence, wouldn't we? We'd kind of say, wait a minute, what am, what, am I, you know, what am I seeing here? Is this the God I thought I knew? We'd lose, we'd lose it all. We'd lose all that trust. We'd be gone. And that's just God missing one time, not the hundreds of times that we miss. Once. Because faithfulness builds trust, real trust, fearless trust. So you have less trust, more suspicion. And then full trust, zero suspicion. You know, it's like friend or foe. We come up to a stranger and we're in the dark. We're not sure. We, don't, we can't trust the situation. So we get a lot of suspicion. Anything could happen. But with God, we have to have zero suspicion. Well, to get to zero suspicion, we have to have maximum trust. Can't be a stranger. God has to be there for us every time. Eternally. Can you imagine if, what would happen if we were a little suspicious of God? We weren't really sure. Was it maybe? You know, that loyalty? That's the kind of loyalty we can embrace and become fearless. 
Fearlessness gives us that complete faith. When we reach that point, we have total trust. So if we can flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember Ark? So it's after Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you firm to the end, right? Forever. So you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ the Lord? So here's God calling us. Again, we can run to him or we can run away. It's our choice. But he calls us, arms wide open. So again, just to keep you flipping around, uh, if we go to Hebrews, just in New Testament, chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, So here, the topic is Jesus. And in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect. In other words, Jesus. Through what he had suffered. He's perfect through his suffering. Both the one who makes the people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. This is something I don't think gets enough notice. Jesus is not ashamed to call them, them being us, brothers and sisters. If you think about that, I mean, it's with Jesus' family here. This is what we're reading. We are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, meaning I will declare you, the Lord God, to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. I will put my trust in him, being, the, being God. <clears throat> and here's Jesus saying, here I am, the children, with the children God has given me. And since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. This is why Jesus was fully human. So that by his death, he might break the power, the power of him who holds the power of death, which is the devil, and free those whose all their lives would be held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely... It's not angels he helps, but Abram's descendants. Again, us. Jesus is helping us break the grip of death. For this reason, he was made like them. I mean, Jesus was made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful and a faithful high priest in the service of God. 
and he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Again, this is why Jesus was fully human. Because he himself suffered and he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, he can feel what we feel. Jesus can know what we need. So, just one last verse. If we flip to Romans chapter 3, which again, ark, it's from the middle of the ark, it's right after Acts, we hear about this fearless faith. Chapter 3, verse 21. So in Romans 3, 21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Again, exactly what I've been saying. And through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That's that fearless faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, and God's forbearance, which means patience or holding back. So in God's holding back, he had left the sins committed to go unpunished. So we needed a savior. God let all those sins go unpunished. We needed to reconcile. We reconciled through a savior. So he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So again, God comes full circle. He knows we're coming up short. He knows we've got sins. God holds back from, a, from releasing his wrath and gives us a savior instead. And to clarify, Christ is faithful as the son of a God's house and we are his house. If needed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Okay? So cling to Jesus is what that's saying. Jesus rules over us, our house. Right? But what I really wanted to convey here was be serious. God is. God's very serious. He sent us a savior. I don't know if you could possibly get any more proof than that of how serious God is. So get yourself fearless in faith. And the big question is, how do you know when you get there? How do you know when you're fearless in faith? So I'll leave you with this little test that you can do. Ask yourself this. Does faith affect my decisions? Is the decision I'm making today affected by faith? And see how many times you can say yes to that question. When you say yes all the time, that's fearless faith. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for giving us your faith and we thank you for giving us a savior and knowing that we aren't 
ever patient and ever giving and ever loyal. And we come up short. And we thank you for giving us an exit, a way, to, a way out, for covering us with your wings and protecting us from the evil around us. We thank you for all these things that you do. And most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Amen.